No, I'd, uh, I was hoping to have uh, some visuals up on the screen for you for us tonight, but um, my mind is still um, a little bit like mashed potato from the last three days. I was just, I'm, I'm processing right now in between these two ears, I'm still processing. So um, you'll, you'll just forgive me if uh, what comes out might not be, anyway, we'll see what happens. But um, I wanted to talk with you tonight um, about uh, the, the, the message title tonight is God bless this church. That's a, that's a prayer that I pray about for this church. I don't know about you guys. God bless this church. Uh, I think it's a good prayer to pray and um, to bring God's blessing upon a place. You know, we can, we can come up with all the programs and procedures and process. Talk about process and people, you know, um, it's good to have both of those two in, in, in union together, working towards something. And so here um, in this place, it's, I think it's God's blessing falls upon a place that has those things, both process, planning, but also people and, um, and movement of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, I'll look at this uh, church. We're going to look at this church as an example of what it means to be a church with God's blessing upon it. And this church is in a place called Antioch. Okay. Now you'll notice in our reading for today, tonight, I don't know if you, if you did notice, but um, I'll, I'll bring it back again, is that the first off, the first point is God blesses a church. God's blessing rests upon a church where every member is a minister. Every member is a minister. Now this church that happens to be in Antioch was formed out of a group of people that were persecuted after Stephen was stoned. Now we looked at the stoning of Stephen, I think it was in, in Acts chapter 7. I don't know if we can cast your mind back to that. And, and as he was preaching this message, there was a man there that was looking after everyone's cloaks while they were stoning Stephen to death because they didn't like Stephen's message. And there was this man there that was watching and his name was Saul. And then it says there at the beginning of chapter 8 that a great wave of persecution be began to um, happen in Jerusalem upon all the Christians, all the people who, but they weren't called Christians, all the people who put their faith in Jesus. There was a massive persecution and they were then pushed from Jerusalem out to save their own lives, to save their own necks, to save their own kids and their families and all of that sort of stuff. And this is what we read first up in verse 19. We see this church. Meanwhile, the believers, there they are, the believers, who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. All right, these are believers. There's no mention of apostles. Um, there's no mention of, um, you know, leaders and names. They're just believers. All right, hands up if you're a believer. I'm a believer. And, and these people, they went, and, and as they went, it's really amazing, but what does it say they did? They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. Now, I think that's amazing, because if you look around the world, even on the news, we see there's a thing in our, in our world called um, uh, refugee camps. Uh, I've met a few people actually this last couple of days who have lived in refugee camps. Now, they never, you know, when they went through high school or primary school, they never came up with a plan. You know what? When I finish high school, 
my aim is to go into a refugee camp. No one has ever wanted to do that. They, no one ever had a plan to do that. But they were forced into that because of someone else or some other government or some situation of persecution or oppression. And these people in these refugee camps, it's amazing how generous a lot of them can be. And amazing how, um, I guess, how refined their purpose for life can be. Now, I don't think any of us in this room have been in a refugee camp, but we've been in places of confinement or restriction. I mean, let alone the last two years, but even in places like where you might have had an illness or you might have been, um, you know, you might have lost your job and you, you were restricted financially. You might have had an illness and you were restricted health-wise and you couldn't move around or anything. Now, it's, it's, it's pretty hard in those situations to focus on the job. But you do have a, it is a time of refinement about what's important. Um, I know, um, you know, people that have gone through chemotherapy or had near-death near experiences after that moment or after that period of, of hardship or whatever, there, there's this refinement of what's really important. Where am I going to put my time? Where am I going to put my energy? Where am I going to put my, my finances or my resources? All right. And so here, I just think it's amazing that these people, they're running for their lives. They've got their kids with them. And they are preaching the word of God as they go. They're actually getting about the business of what Jesus called his disciples to do. To proclaim the gospel. It was great last week, wasn't it? Stu Miller coming, shared a really um, detailed and fairly well-structured um, message about the gospel and whose responsibility it is. It's, um, it's my responsibility or whoever's going to be preaching up here to bring teaching but it's interesting that here, there's, these are just ordinary people. I'm an ordinary person, by the way. But these are just ordinary people, and they're preaching the word of God. Every member is a minister. That's what the church is. That's what, how the church should function. The church should never be one person doing all the jobs. And that's, we know this, right? We know, let's move on, Ian. Move on. We know this point. Right, good. Uh, but, but it says that they're only preaching it to Jews. So it's kind of limited. So, however, in verse 20, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to people that weren't Jews. They began preaching to people that were Greeks. They didn't look like them. They didn't sound like them. They had different customs. Oh my goodness, they sang different songs. They had different talents and abilities. They socialized differently. Their, their personal space was different. Their, their religious experience and upbringing was different. Their language was different. And yet we see some of the believers, notice again, no apostles, no one's named. These are just believers, just ordinary extras in God's story. Some of them, some of them, however, decided that this message is too good to share with just people I'm comfortable with. This message needs to go to people that I'm not comfortable with. Maybe I don't like them even. And so they did that. They shared the gospel, right? Began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Now, they tell me that these two words here in verse 19 and verse 20, where it says preaching to, it's actually a conversational kind of preaching. It's not a, there's my soapbox, and I'm going to tell you guys, 
that if you don't turn and repent, you're going to hell. Nothing like that. It's more along the lines of, you know, how are you going? How's life? You know, have you, have you heard about Jesus? <laughs> you don't you have to come in straight with Jesus because that's a bit creepy, isn't it? But it's, it's about life and it's about them knowing well, it is sometimes because like, we all have been in those awkward situations. But to talk to someone and, and their life in that scattering of persecution, their life and the way that they, they live actually preaches to the people around them anyway. Because the people go, hey, you're going through this and you're, you seem so calm. You seem so loving towards others, to your, to your enemies even. Why? And, the, and that's just an open door, isn't it? And so the conversations start. So they began preaching to these Greek people as well about the Lord Jesus. Then verse 21, it says, The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. You might have in your Bible, the hand of the Lord was with them, or the blessing of the Lord was with them. It's just basically when we are... It's, it's not like God doesn't do something if you don't do something, because God will do whatever he wants. He's just God. But when Jesus asks his disciples to do something and they do it, they find in the process that, that, that Jesus is with them in it. The power of God, the hand of God, the blessing of God is upon that situation. And so what are these guys doing that finds them in the situation where the blessing of God is upon them as a church? They're sharing their faith. They're sharing their faith to people that they're comfortable with and they're sharing their faith with people that they're not comfortable with. Who are you not comfortable with? I know for me, the people that I'm not comfortable with, I'll be very honest tonight, are people in suits that have clean haircuts and drive clean cars and have everything in order in their life. They're, they're like managers of companies or something. And they're just like they're amazingly perfect on the outside. I find it uncomfortable to think about those people as people that need Jesus. I don't know about you. There might be, you know, it might be someone else. It might be, you know, I don't know, hairy, smelly, homeless people it might be for you. But for me, I'm actually quite comfortable to sit down next to a, one of those people and just, you know, open up the conversation. But yeah, I don't know, every one of us have got those people that we're comfortable to share the gospel with or to talk to about Jesus. But then there's other ones that we're not comfortable to talk to about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying go to people who you're afraid of or are going to harm you. But I am saying that the gospel is for everyone. Everybody needs forgiveness. It doesn't matter how perfect and clean cut their haircut is or what their suit looks like or whatever. Everyone on the inside has a problem and needs the good news. Anyway power of God was with them. Um, so every minute member is a minister. Um, they, are the, the next thing I notice is that they are outward focused. Okay, it's not about me, it's about, it's about the mission. So in uh, verse 22, we see um, oh, sorry, verse 20, it didn't, didn't pick up on that one. Uh, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles. Now, Antioch. Antioch is a... Yeah, we, let's talk about Antioch. Has anyone here ever been to Sydney before? If I say King's Cross, what do you think? 
if you know you've been to Brisbane, if I say the valley, like in the eighties or the nineties, what do you think? It's it's it, it's it's debauchery, it's crime, it's dangerous. Antioch, this is Antioch of Syria. There's actually like it's so annoying in history. I don't know why some powerful man named 15 cities after his father Antioch. So there was like Antioch of this place, Antioch of that place. And you're like, where are you going? Antioch, where have you been? Antioch. Whoa. Anyway, this is Antioch of Syria. Just that's just free. Yeah, modern day Turkey. Yeah. And and it was the third largest city of the Roman Empire. So think of the Mediterranean Sea and all the other nations around the Mediterranean Sea, like a big lake. That was the Roman Empire, pretty much like Italy and Turkey and down to Alexandria in, um, in around, you know, um, Egypt. And so Rome was the top city. It was the political power. Um, Alexandria was the second major city, which was like philosophy. And um, we, there's a lot of libraries actually found and we get a history from a lot of those libraries that were found in archaeological digs. And then Antioch was the third major city. And it was actually a city known for its debauchery, known for its immorality. It, it actually had a whole lot of religions in the place and there were so many different gods that people would worship. And there was in fact, it was open, like um, open worship that, places they'd go to instead of, you know how we come here, it's so friendly and safe and it's great. They would go to some places to worship and we would call that place a brothel these days. That's how they would worship their gods. They would just go and give their bodies to other people in those places. And it was just so wicked and so, so dark and so evil. And these people had no concept of God, no concept of Jewish religion. In fact, I think maybe that's why a lot of the uh, Christians, the believers that were pushed out in the persecution went there because there wouldn't have been that, that oppression from the Jewish kind of hierarchy that was oppressing them and, and, and persecuting them. Anyway, Antioch's that place, all right? Reaching out to Antioch, sharing the gospel with someone from Antioch. That's, that's, where, that's the coal face. That's where the rubber hits the road. They're the, they're the people that don't, speak the same way we do in church. And they really probably couldn't give two hoots about what you believe. So it would have been a very difficult atmosphere. But because they were obedient to sharing the gospel, it says that the power of God was with them. And large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. This is amazing. Uh, and and these, these new believers in Antioch, I want us to focus on them, right? They become a church. In fact, the Bible, it, it says, says a bit later on in verse 26 that in Antioch, that's the first place that believers in Jesus are called Christians. Did you know that? So it's not until chapter 11 of Acts that we find the word Christians in the Bible. Not mentioned anywhere else until here in chapter 11. Christians, it means they're, they're little Christs or they're, they're part of the the party of Christ, they're with Christ. And in fact, some people think it was a kind of a put down. But I think it's, whatever you call it, if put down or not, it, it tells me that these people not only said what they believed, but they actually lived it as well in a town that was so dark and, and, and uh, evil. 
Uh, every member is a minister. It was outward focused. It was not about me. It was about the mission. And these guys shared the gospel with their other friends and neighbors in Antioch. And it, and it continues on down in verse 26, uh, verse, sorry, 24. And many people were brought to the Lord. More, there's more growth. There's more people coming to know Jesus. Isn't it great when someone comes to know Jesus in a church? Have you ever been in a church where there's like one or two people give their lives to the Lord, do an altar call or something? I don't know, but they give their lives. And it's great because we outnumber, the Christians outnumber the new believers. And so we're able to manage them and disciple them and teach them. This is a church where it's the opposite. Two or three people go in share the gospel with somebody, a group of people, and large amounts of people, more than what was sharing the gospel, become believers. That's a lot of discipleship. That's a lot of mess. That's a lot of, okay, maybe you shouldn't be saying that. Maybe we should try it this way. That's a lot of side-by-side ministering and helping someone to follow Jesus. And in fact, that's what happens. After they respond to the gospel, The news about this reaches Jerusalem, the main head of the church, the authorities, right? And they're like, what's going on down there in Antioch? Let's go check out if it's really God. And they go down, they send Barnabas down there and he finds out about it. This is my third point about God, uh, the bless, uh, church that God blesses is that there's evidence of God's grace. Let's have a look at verse 22 and verse 23. It says, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. There was evidence of God's blessing. There was evidence of God's grace. How can you tell if someone has turned their life around to Jesus? I'm asking you how, do you, how can you tell? Their actions and change of behavior. Yeah. It's basically what comes out of their mouth, what comes out of their hands, how they behave, their heart. There's a lot of those sorts of things. And that was obvious to Barnabas. When he came in, he saw, wow, these guys aren't living like the people around them. They're very different. There's a grace right here. There's God's blessing upon these people. There's evidence of God's grace. There's evidence of God's grace to the Christians, but there's also evidence of God's grace to the non-Christians too. The non-Christians notice it, and that's why they call them Christians, because they're little Christs. They're like their, their God. They behave like their... In fact, you know what happens when you worship something? You become like it. You become like what you worship. <laughs> that's, that's free too. Evidence of God's grace. The, the next thing I notice is that it's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is free to move. All right, In a church where the Holy Spirit is free to move, God will bless it. Now, it's really interesting. I love this because what happens is in verse 27, we see this, this entry in of a gift of the Holy Spirit. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. Remember, all the way around the Mediterranean. All right. The Holy Spirit was free to move. 
Now, I've been in churches where people have called themselves prophets or whatever, and, and, and there can be a little bit of awkwardness. There can be some hesitancy in allowing somebody to have a voice in a room. But I put it to you that if the Holy Spirit is present and a prophet is present, then God's Holy Spirit will speak through that prophet, not for the, for the sake of that prophet's encouragement or for the sake of that prophet's name, or even for the sake of finding out what the future is. God will speak through that person because God wants his will to be done. And that person is brave enough to share what they feel God is sharing to their heart. And now I love it how the church just doesn't say, well, we don't know if that guy's a prophet or not. They say, let's find out. They listen to Agabus. Maybe he's had some experience with this gift that God has given him in Jerusalem, but they listen to him prophesy about this coming famine. And then they take steps towards preparing for that. It's beautiful because when the Holy Spirit's involved, there's spiritual growth for a practical benefit. You notice it back actually in the Old Testament with Joseph, when Joseph comes through the ranks and he becomes one of the leaders in, in Egypt. God uses him for practical means to save Egypt from famine. But people have to listen to Joseph. If they don't, then, you know, we know the end of the story. But this would have been very difficult for this early church. How do we know if Agabus is telling the truth or not? They don't. But the Holy Spirit is free to move in that church. And the Spirit, the spiritual, begets the practical. That's always the Holy Spirit's intention in your life and my life as well. He doesn't want to just show you off. He wants to use you for practical purposes. Uh, the next thing I notice is that this church is reproductive. And I'll finish on that. In verse 29, we see the believers responding to this prophetic message it says, so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. Oh, that's another one. That's a generous church. God blesses a generous church. Then verse 30, this they did entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. This is the first, in fact, probably, yeah, probably the first actual record in all of historical documents of any group of people raising funds for another group of people that live like 300 miles away in history. There's, there's no other account in all of history. I'm not just talking Christian history, I'm talking ancient history of any kind you will not read about any people groups or nations or races or you know cities or whatever, countries, raising funds for some other country and sending it. They're helping them out because the spirit was free to move. And it's interesting that they send this stuff back to Jerusalem. It's not about them. It's not about their name. They want Jerusalem to use the, you know, their wisdom to send it off to Judea and where it needs to go. They don't need their, names in, their, their name in lights, these people from Antioch. They just know that they are saved and they're in the family of God and they are a church where every member is a minister. They are outward focused. It's not about me. It's about the mission. It's, um, 
and there's evidence of God's grace in their life. They're changed from the inside out and everybody notices and the Holy Spirit's free to move. What more do you want in a church? And it's, reprodu it's reproductive and it, and it blesses, it's generous. Anyway, I want my church to be like that, a little bit like that. You know, and this is the this is the place where they're called Christians. And it's from here actually that we see the spread of the gospel all the way, not to Jewish Christian, not to Jewish people anymore, but to non non-Jewish people like you and me. And it goes from Antioch, that place, those people. Oh my goodness. Can anything good come out of Antioch? Well, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for packing them. We thank you, Lord, that it's, it's, I mean, it's not like Antioch, but Lord, there are people in this place that don't know you and they have no background of you. And Lord, we just thank you so much that we have the opportunity to live for you in this place, to bring you up in conversation in this place. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us and use us, Lord, in this place. Help us to be witnesses for you and help us to see people come to know Jesus. And Lord, use us. We invite you to do that. Help us to trust you and help us to, uh, yeah, allow you to, to work and move in our church too. Amen.